Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, Syria. Inter is coming, but could Sari be going? We'll have the latest from Syria and from League 1 too. Plus a word on Portugal's Super Clasico, the Bundesliga, where it's Haaland nil, Volan 2, and Spain, where the Bars were beating Barca and leaving the Bernabeu in an Isaac Hayes. All that and more in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we're joined today by Raphael Honigstein. Hello, Raphael. Hello, James. Also here, looking splendid, Alvaro Romeo. Thank you. Not at all, Alvaro. <laughs> and uh, we've got Julien Laurent. Bonjour, bonjour. And nice to see you, Julien. And on the line, James Horncastle. James. Hello. All right. You're in Italy. I am, yes. All right. Yeah, Storm, what is it? Kira. 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 Kira, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. that's James Horncastle in Italy. And, uh, well, we got a lot to talk about because, I mean, he was at the Derby last night in Milan. That was huge. We'll be hearing about that ever so soon. Rafa, what are you itching to tell us about from the Bundesliga? Well, it doesn't sound like a big story because it ended nil-nil, but the big game between Bayern and, and Leipzig was very interesting for many different reasons, James, and I'm going to tell you about every single one of them. You're going to try. try. Alvaro Romeo. Big stories in Spain. Yeah, I think that uh, the Basque Derby is one of the big ones uh, because um, both uh, Real Sociedad and Athletic de Bilbao will be playing the Cup semi-finals after beating Real Madrid and Barcelona, who, by the way, managed to win this weekend, but in a very different fashion. Barcelona needed uh, some help from the referee and uh, some not help from the referee to win this game. I see, or I think I do, but we'll find out more <laughs> later on. Julien... The big game was PSG against Lyon on Sunday night and PSG, as often in that uh, fixture, won. Why are you smiling? It was a surprise. <laughs> Headline news. But my boy, Ryan Cherky, started the 16-year-old yes. prodigy. Yeah, he yeah. played for an hour. Ooh, and Dimitri Payet did another worldie. Yeah, and Arsene Wenger might be back in France Ooh. very soon. Wow, we've got an awful lot to talk about. We're going to begin, though, with City Hour next. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. James Horncastle. Hello. Hello again. Inter back on top of City Air, tightest title race in decades, and talk of Maurizio Sarri getting the chop. Where do you want to start? I think we should start with what is already a contender for game of the year, uh, the Debbie Di Milano, because I think it was a fantastic spectacle, both in the stands in terms of the choreographies that we saw, although I'm not sure how much of that was actually broadcast on TV, because I'm not sure you can broadcast inter <laughs> on the, on international TV, but uh, that was great. And also the game just lived up to it as well with um Milan putting in what was probably their best first half performance of the season. Um, I saw a lot of the kind of irony, humour on social media, comparing it with uh, you know the sort of performance you'd get from a Maldini, Kaká, Shevchenko Milan side, and then the second half being very reminiscent of a Jamal Mesba, Tiske Honda, uh, Christian Zapata style Milan side. Um, but it was it was just magnificent, mm. magnificent. All right. Well, so the whole game had been set up really nicely by Juventus losing their second game in three matches on Saturday, giving into the chance to go back on top. And as you mentioned, fantastic choreography in the build-up. This uh, intermerida display that the Curva Sud put together that was a, a refinement of the uh, Telefonini, the uh, the the mobile phone display that the Lazio fans had tried at their derby. Yes, yeah, so the Lazio had tried it. Um, without success and then um i think uh, they played uh, verona was it on tuesday night and they they tried it again this time much more ambitiously with a um the eagle and that was done splendidly but this is now so kind of how, very how does it much work the, exactly uh well you just uh hold up your phone and uh, turn phone. the light on right. and as long as you're sat in the right place um it's you know you you help create a message um so is, is this something that has started at the stadio olimpico or is this come from somewhere else so i believe this is i've started at the, the stadio olimpico i've certainly never seen 
a kind of mass uh, choreography of people turning on their phone lights in the way that I had um, at the Olympico before. Yeah, I'm sure the Lazio fans will probably be claiming copyright. But if anyone else has done it before, on the same kind of scale, I think that's the important thing. But in the East, they do it with with drones and stuff, uh, right? of course. But anyway, so it had all set up really, really well for Inter. This was their big chance to go back on top of the table. But the game didn't begin at all well for them, did it? No, I think it was one of the the, the worst displays I've seen from Inter in that that first 45 minutes. Um, Milan really rattled them um, playing... 4-2-3-1 with Chalinolu just off uh, Zlatan and that left-hand side of, of Milan's with Teo Hernandez and, and Ante Rebic. Rebic, who's been really kind of reborn um, since since January, caused a lot of problems um, down the side of Candreva and, uh, and Diego Godin. And Zlatan, who, you know, we've mentioned uh, the effect that he's had on uh, the mood of the club and also um, just on their kind of attendances um, delivered, be it with the knockdown um, for Rebic's first goal and then scoring the second as well. And in, if anything, it felt, and Conte admitted this afterwards, Milan could have scored more goals um, in, in, in that first half. And then I think in the second half, what we saw really was a young team, uh, Milan, who's still got the youngest average age um, in, in Serie A for their, for their starting eleven, even with a 38-year-old Zlatan up front, paying that mistake for inexperience and then fading uh, physically, particularly in the, in the latter stages of that second half. But what a response from, uh, from Inter as well. I think wow. there was some, in, in some respects, quite fortunate with that first goal from Brozovic because it's a Candreva deflected cross and he just, he hits and hopes and he goes in and then all of a sudden the uh, San Siro believes. And I think, again, one of those displays that it's not only valuable for the three points and taking advantage of, of, of Juventus um, losing on, on Saturday night, but what this does within the group in terms of the attitude, the mentality, the belief that they can they can actually go on and win, particularly after that sticky patch through mid-December into January. Yeah, also I because think it's they, huge. they were a club who kept on taking leads and then blowing them, and this was quite the opposite, to be 2-0 down at half-time and then come back and, and beat them like this. It was the first time... They'd done it in a in a derby since 1949. Just a couple of things about Ibra. I mean, the big question was, I think, beforehand, would he score against his former team? And also, what noise would Tiziano Crudelli make if he did? And the answer was very much this. Ibra! 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 And he continues like that for a while. Well, terrific second-half performance, Jules, from the Nerazzurri. Nice to see Sanchez popping up with an assist. Ericsson with a lovely free kick as well. Yeah, and even at 3-2 for Inter, Ibra hit the post mm. in the 90th minute before Lukaku scores the fourth and have that iconic celebration. No, I just had a quick question. If you forget about Ericsson and, and Victor Moses who came on, but from the starting lineups of the two teams, there were six players who at some point played in England. Can you name the six players? Okay, so Young, yeah. uh, Lukaku, two, uh, Alexis, three, um, you're then looking at Benasser. Four. Yeah. Two more. Um, Ibra, of course. Five. And the last one, which is the hardest, by the way, but I expect. Did, did, did Simon Kier, did he play? No. Did he play brief? No. No. Rebic briefly? No. It was a brief six month spell on loan to quite a big English, well, quite a big English club, one of the top English clubs. Brief six months on you loan. Know. Right. It's podcast gold. <laughs> You're playing along, listener. Yeah, well. of course they are. Of course they are. Julian's going to come back with the answer very shortly. Just while you're thinking, uh, yeah. James, about that, a huge Inter go back on top of the table. And uh, we mentioned that Juventus got beaten the previous day, second time in, what, eight days, 2-1 at Verona, promoted Verona, and talk uh, this Monday of uh, Mauricio Sarri paying in managerial terms, the ultimate price with uh, Allegri still available, still on contract with Juve, him coming back in, talk of the fans organising with a hashtag, uh, Sarri out, of the players eager to return to Allegri's tutelage. What's your feeling about the likelihood or the reality of of those stories? I think it's still premature, even though I think some of uh, Sarri's comments in the media have not been 
let's say, befitting of Juventus manager. I'm talking about after the defeat to Napoli when he said, you know, if we were to lose to anyone, it'd be great to lose to Napoli. So I'm happy about that. That didn't go down particularly well. Um, and also there is just this sense that um, it was a big gamble to replace Allegri last summer, uh, particularly with Sally, who we've spoken about on the Golazzo podcast before in that My Frady episode, in that he is so different compared with other managers that they have had and had success with in the past. And at the moment, well, not at the moment, but over the last seven months, this team, uh, you can tell now, it's no longer Allegri's team in that uh, the mentality that they have when it comes to dropping off, defending deep, being comfortable, seeing out games, they no longer do that, um, which is which is the big surprise. And they're not Maurizio Sarri's Juventus either because they're not playing the kind of football that would come to associate with him, even though he said, I can't do that with the characteristics of the players that I've got um, on this team at the moment. So I think in some respects, there, there is some unrest there in terms of they're trying to do something different. It's not coming off, but they can't kind of go back to what worked for them last year either. And I do think they're they're missing in particular at the moment Chiellini, not only because he is their most experienced and best defender, but also in terms of just having a leader like that on the pitch. Um, I think his absence has been has been overlooked really since he got injured after 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 match day one. Uh, but you're right, James Massimiliano Allegri is still under contract um, right. at Juventus, and I think in terms of other options for him, we've spoken about this before. He's a very successful manager and a very charismatic manager, but a very difficult sell um, for, for clubs outside of Italy. And in some respects, maybe a Lippi-esque return um, should uh, should not be ruled out. A little bit of a minister Riscaldata huh? mm. always goes down well. Yes, Fantastic. We should talk, though, about Verona. Just to mm. fill us in on how much of a shock, how much of, a, of an achievement is it for Hellas to, to beat Juventus? Well, With it's Gianpaolo Pazzini at 35 years of age. And Fabio Barini up yeah. front. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a magnificent season uh, that they're having, um, obviously, back in the top flight. I mean, we should remember the kind of gutsy decision that they took on gaining promotion. They, they did it through the playoffs after sacking Fabio Grosso um, just a couple of weeks before those playoffs began. Um, Alietti then got them up and they decided, thanks but no thanks, we're going to appoint a manager who's, who's been sacked three times by Genoa in, uh, in Ivan Juric. Um, and they, they've got the lowest wage bill in the league and they spent €5 million Euro in the transfer window. And I think they're about to recoup a recoup around uh, 35, if not even more than that, from the sales um, next summer of Rachmani and Amrabat, who's going to Fiorentina. So um, in, in that sense, no one predicted that they would be in the sixth place and uh, in the Europa League spots at this stage of the season. Having said that, given how well they've played over the last few months, there was this expectation that this game was going to be a real fight um, for, for Juventus. And uh, I presume that you watched it, James, on Saturday night. The atmosphere at the Bentigodi, I, I don't think I've seen anything like that there since the, the turn of the century. It was remarkable in terms of like the noise that they were creating. And it's, that's one of those grounds which looks empty a lot of the time. And to see it full in the way it was and to see Verona doing well is just a reminder of what a great... Piazza, you know, what a great yeah. football city that is um, when their fans are not doing things that they shouldn't be doing. All very interesting because Lazio also won this weekend. I think their 12th win in 13, uh, a 1-0 win away at the Tardini against Parma. They are now one point off the top. You've got three teams separated by just one point. Question here from Dan Rosato, amongst other people. Who are the biggest threat to Juve now for the title, Lazio or Inter? What do you think, James? I think it's still Inter because Conte's won this league before. Simone Inzaghi hasn't. Um, if you look at the players that Inter have signed, the investment that they've made in both transfer windows. In fact, they're making a signing today um, because Sami Handanovic had fractured his finger. That's why he didn't play in the in the derby at the weekend. And they're signing Emiliano Viviano instead on a free transfer. So they keep they keep re-upping um, in an effort to to win the league. Um, Lazio should not be ruled out. I mean, you, you mentioned that game that day, uh, one in Parma. Um, I mean, some controversy on a quite controversial weekend in terms of refereeing decisions. 
Um, but they did that with what Milinkovic Savic um, was suspended. Um, one of their first choice defenders, Radu, um, was also out injured. Um, some of their players, like Korea, for example, not 100% fit. Um, to go there and keep winning, I think they're unbeaten now in 18 games, is is very, very impressive indeed. And guess who they play at the weekend, James? They Inter. play Inter. Inter. James, a question regarding Inter. Uh, having such a title race, and uh, we know that Juventus is going to take seriously the Champions League fight and all that, I don't know if Inter de Milan is going to do the same uh, with the Europa League, if they are going to regard it as an important competition or not, because this is going to be key in the title race. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why they wanted to um, strengthen in, in, in January was to not so much take seriously the Europa League, but be in a position where they can give their their first choice players a rest. That was certainly how it was pitched to Olivier Giroud, even though um, Giroud didn't end up joining the club in the end, um, that his minutes would primarily come in the Europa League as well as coming on for Lukaku in in, uh, in Serie A. So, look, I think the, the chance to end uh, what has been a decade now without a league title with, um, let's not forget, quite a big uh, series of transfer spends in that time, which has often been wasted, I think Inter really are seizing the moment um, now, and Conte will accept nothing, nothing less. I think you know, even if he'll, even if he would say, "Look, um, second place in my first year, that's great," he'd be very upset inside if they end up falling short come May. All right, James. Should we get the answer to Jules's quiz question? Those six yeah, players. The other one. So the sixth one is Daniele Padelli, the goalkeeper who was on loan at Liverpool in two thousand seven. Yeah. What? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he was better at that time than he is now because that mistake on uh, Milan's first goal was pretty bad. James Horncastle in Italy. Among the other Italian stories that we didn't quite touch on there, Atalanta moving three points clear of Roma in the race for Champions League places. Roma, who got beaten at home to Bologna. Atalanta, meanwhile, winning at Fiorentina 2-1. Napoli, who'd had three wins in a row, promptly went and lost to Lecce, the team that had seen uh, Walter Mazzari's reign end at Torino with their victory at Torino last weekend. Uh, Torino, this time, have got a new manager in, Marino Longa. He promptly lost 3-1 to Sampdoria. Uh, other new managers this weekend, Diego Lopez got a point in his debut for Brescia after they'd fired Eugenio Carini for the second time this season. Since the round of games, uh, another manager's gone semplice at Spal with uh, Gigi Di Biagio coming yeah. in. Uh, so, yeah, it's all go in uh, the world of Serie A management. Woohoo! After this, we'll be heading over the Alps to Germany. Hmm, it seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Rafa, always like to start with a little bit of uh, status quo by Leverkusen. They're celebrating what was, we heard about the Milan derby, but this was another contender for game of the season at the Bayer Arena. It was pretty spectacular, as it often is when Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen come up against each other because they can't defend, neither of them. Ah. Um, <laughs> but they do score some beautiful goals. Um, probably Dortmund's third to pick at a bunch because of the movement uh, and the approach. Um, was that the Emre Chan one? No, that was yeah. the Guerrero one. I mean, oh, Emre Chan's okay. one was pretty good as pretty well. Pretty good, yeah. But uh, as on a team baby. goal, yeah. the third one is, is actually is sensational. And unfortunately, uh, Dortmund are the one side where you'd think they go away from home and score three goals and you still can't quite back them to win the game. 
And this is what transpired. They were 3-2 up with 10 minutes to go and managed to concede two goals when Leon Bailey, the substitute, scored. So a big, big defeat that felt especially painful because it brought back all the discussions and, and all the, the problems about their defensive ineptitude. And for once, they couldn't outscore the opponents. And even Haaland didn't score. So, right. Sancho, for the, Sancho for got a goal, but it was disallowed for a, a foul in the, in the build-up. Build yeah. But Haaland, was his performance markedly different to other ones, or he just didn't get the chance? Rubbish, James. Absolutely crap. No, I mean, he was he was fine. <laughs> he was fine. He just... Um, he had one or two opportunities. Uh, one, he blasted at the keeper from a tight angle, which could have gone in. Um, looked... Not quite as effective and, and didn't get on the score sheet, but I don't think that anyone will blame him for the fact that Dortmund lost this game. Uh, the bigger bigger debate really is that uh, Emre Chan coming in on his debut, doing well enough, but not well enough to effectively shield this very leaky Dortmund defence. So right. no, almost back to square one for them. No team in the top half of the Bundesliga has conceded more goals than Dortmund, which is obviously a concern not just in the Bundesliga, but also with the Champions League and prospect Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, but I mean PSG, you know, yeah. <laughs> if they got up front. So now I was mm, just surprised yeah. how Favre was quite uh, open after the game by saying, I've never had a team with so many problems or difficulties. I don't know whether yeah. the, the, the I exact think translation... Might be, this, might be saying the same about him. Yeah, probably. Um, as a manager. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, they can't figure it out. They're, Different players, different people from Dortmund putting forward different um, theories, why it doesn't work. Is it individual? Is it a lack of application, lack of aggression? Is it organisation? Well, it's not that bad. They're four points off the top in third place in the Bundesliga. I know, but they fell apart in the second half of the season last year to gift the title to Bayern. And this year when Bayern are again, by their standards, vulnerable, Dortmund don't take advantage. And they don't take advantage because they're not good enough winning games but they can't defend which makes this very galling and very difficult I think for the for the club and for the bosses to take and Favre I think privately will always point at the players and say well this guy is not quite right and this guy can't defend and this guy makes mistake but at some stage I think you have to deal with those issues and help this team collectively just to do better and they're just such an easy touch just just so soft it's it's ridiculous I mean not even PSG are as bad when it comes to. I guess we'll see. When it comes to defending, far. I told you that game, the Dortmund PSG will finish four three and five four. Something like this is the most entertaining tie I think of the last sixteen. But Rafael, I wonder how many of those uh, Dortmund players are natural defenders, or uh, they've got a uh, defend naturally, like uh, for example yeah, the no, Dortmund midfielders, because yeah. Witzel, for example, is not one of them. Guerrero, neither. I mean, they are all all attacking, and they are given the responsibility to do something that they don't want to do or they don't know how to do very well. It's a fair point to an extent. I think the fullbacks are attacking fullbacks. Hakimi is often out of position because he loves to go forward and he's probably more effective in a more advanced role. Um, Guerrero, I think, less so. He's shown uh, already with Portugal that he can be very disciplined playing as a, as a proper left-back. Then you have Axel, uh, then Axel Zagadou, who is, in terms of the physique and the potential, a sensational centre-back. Strong, pacey, good on the ball. Next to him, you've got a guy who's won the World Cup uh, with Germany. He might not be quite at his best, but he's still pretty good in Mats Hummels. So I think it's a little bit easy to say, you know, this I don't quite have the right players and the players don't do this, the players don't do that. I think there are so many teams that would love to swap with Dortmund when it comes to the squad that they have, even in defence. And... The, the reason why Favre is repeatedly under criticism is because, at least in theory, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people suspect that another manager with a more defensive setup would just get more out of them. Who, who and, do you think might be in line to... If I knew, if Dortmund knew, then I think Favre would have been gone in the summer. Ah, okay. But they, like Bayern, yes. can't quite figure out who that new man would be and who is available. So mm. it's, it's very, very difficult. But this was another game which went, I think, quite some way to suggest that Favre will not stick around beyond uh, beyond the summer. Right, well, there they are in third place. Bayer, meanwhile, now one, two, three, six points off the top. But uh, interesting clashes. Well, Marco Royce picking up an injury that's going to see him out for how long, do you think? Is he going to miss the PSG tie? Yeah, well, certainly the first leg. Um, he hurt his, his, his groin in the cup defeat against uh, Bremen. 
Uh, this is another thing we should really mention because not only did Dortmund lose this game mm. to have a real setback in the title race, but also they got knocked out of the cup, which is by wow. far the easiest way to get within touching distance of a trophy. Um, they lost away to Bremen, one of the not informed teams of the league, and uh, again, lost in, in typical Dortmund fashion, uh, sleepwalking through the first half, being 3-0 down, then coming back, but it wasn't quite enough. I don't know if it was 3-0, 2-0. Anyway, they, they threw the game away effectively in the first half. Mm. Not good enough. I see. did look like a key round of fixtures this weekend, because not only did you have Bayer against Borussia Dortmund, but also the top two going at it. Exciting prospect here with um, Timo Werner and Robert Lewandowski facing off. H- how many goals did they get? <laughs> <laughs> All the goals came at the uh, Bayer Leverkusen Dortmund game, uh, I'm afraid. Um, uh, I mean, Lewandowski had a quiet game. Um, could have scored a couple of goals. Got a little bit unlucky with sort of deflection. That was really Bayern's story in the first half. They created opportunities. They got behind this quite deep, quite defensive Leipzig team with five at the back. But then the final ball, the cross didn't come off or the ball bounced around and, and ricocheted or was cleared off the line. And then Leipzig kind of grew into the game had one or two counterattacks, and they really got Bayern thinking. You could almost feel how Bayern suddenly felt, uh-oh, these guys are pretty good. We better not expose ourselves here and slow down a little bit. And as they slowed down, that enabled Leipzig to grow into the game, take more of the ball, become more comfortable, and then in the end create probably, on balance, the better chances. I mean, two of their chances were were sort of 100 percenters. Um, Sabitzer from the penalty spot the ball came to him and he had a lot of time to to place a shot he blasted it over Werner from a counter-attack in front of Neuer with all the time in the world to pick a spot skews it wide and Bayern almost lucky to get away with a nil-nil uh, draw at home which of course by their standards is hugely disappointing yeah first time they dropped points uh, since the turn of the year how significant is this goalless draw who will be most disappointed by it it's it's big because on the one hand it doesn't change anything. You know, Bayern are still one point clear. Leipzig are happy that they're still in the title race. Bayern are still happy because they control their own destiny, as it were. But it taught us a little bit about both sides. And Leipzig, you know, have now failed to win any of those big games this season. At the same time, they haven't lost them either. So I think if you're Nagelsmann, you're thinking we are maturing, we're becoming more comfortable dealing with the situations. We can come back from either being goals down or being down in terms of the possession as they were in this game and and really exert ourselves and uh, impose ourselves towards the second half. So lots of positives from that. But at the same time, you could also feel that a team that would win the title, let's say a Dortmund under Klopp or even a few years ago, a uh, Wolfsburg under Magad would probably would have taken that chance because that was a chance to beat Bayern and to really inflict a, a big blow on Bayern and they, and they couldn't quite do it so Bayern will, will ultimately feel that they got away with it but they would still be worried I think with how their game kind of just ebbed away and they couldn't really dominate for 90 minutes the bench was quite thin Coutinho came on but didn't really affect the game uh, they have a lot of problems in the wide positions which are quite key for this Bayern side you know like any possession side the the real cut and thrust if you wear comes from from the wings, but Gnabry is is a little bit out of shape coming back from injury. Perisic is injured. Müller is never natural in that right position, and Kingsley Coman has only just come back after four months out with um, with an injury. So that's where I think the concern is, and that's where a Bayern team who felt very confident about themselves, not just domestically, but also going into the Champions League knockout stages after this game will, I think, be slightly less assured just where they are sort of in the grand scheme of things. Right. None of the top four winning in the Bundesliga, which remains pretty tight at the top. Munch and Gladbach didn't play. Their match with Cologne postponed because of Storm Kira. Zabine. Zabine. Oh, do you have a different name for yeah. that Storm? Zabine. Are they not internationally we denominated? Can't, we can't pronounce Kira, so we call it Zabine. I don't know, because it's difficult. Crikey. Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, other Bundesliga news includes the fact that uh, Jürgen Klinsmann's struggles continue with Hertha Berlin. They were beaten 3-1 at home to uh, fellow strugglers, Mainz. That sounds huge. 
it was a big defeat and it came on the back of a big defeat in the cup as well their big dream has been to make the final the final is of course staged in berlin since 1985 and had to have never been there which is a big disappointment so it had his first team in, in any case um so that is um yeah it's another week like dortmund's to forget really okay Klinsmann. Let's ask some questions then. Paramal A says, now that Lucas Hernandez is back, how will Bayern's backline look and what will be the future of Alfonso Davis? Will he go into singing? Um, he could go into he's singing so because he's very talented. He's yeah. a good, um, possible comedian as well. He's, he? he's very funny on, on social media. Yeah. Right. Um, but he's been outstanding as a, as a left-back in, in recent months and I think the fact that Hernandez returns doesn't really change any of that. He's been... Arguably Bayern's, you know, most persistent, consistent performer um, in 2020. And I think that it'll be between Hernandez and Alaba and Pavard to to sort out who will play at the back. It it does probably mean that Jerome Boateng will go back to the bench. Right. And um, if they can get one more solution on the right-back situation, where Odrio Zola has only f- featured a few minutes so far, then maybe we'll see Pavard also uh, moving back into the centre-back position. But okay. uh, it, it's, it helps Bayern because they were a little bit stretched and a little bit slow at the back. And uh, Hernandez will help in that respect. Okay, Alvaro, did you see Alfonso Davis's rendition of uh, I Want It That It was I Want It That Way, wasn't yeah, it? Backstreet, yeah, yeah. Backstreet, Backstreet Did you see this or not? I, I wasn't lucky enough to see it, but uh, oh, I will wow. endeavour to see it. Yeah, it's not just his singing, but his whole kind of... His Choreography. Mise en scene is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, is, is magnificent. And Bayern yeah. finished the game with three left-footed players in the back four when Lucas Hernandez and Alaba and Davis played, which is quite unusual. Usually, managers like this, this yeah. symmetrical of a right, mm. right foot player on the right and then the two centre-backs, one right foot, one left foot. They're three or four. It's pretty unusual. Finally, Barcelona on Sunday yes. played also with three yeah. left-footed defenders. For, for longer than at Bayern as well. Yeah. Okay. Sam Jones asks, does Firmino going to Bayern have any substance or is it just tabloid rubbish? Raf? I would have to look deeper into the story to tell you if it's just tabloid um, rubbish or not, but I can't see how it's going to be viable in financial terms or in sporting terms. Bayern are looking for for wide players, and I think Kai Havertz is still the main option as, as the number 10 as far as strengthening is concerned. So Firmino doesn't feel to me like the natural target uh, for this Bayern side. Firmino, says Rafa. Correct. Right, OK. Uh, Mark de Bavaria says, isn't Thiago one of the most informed and best central midfielders in Europe at the moment? Flying under the radar for a lot of people, not just outside of Germany. Why? Your thoughts, Raf? I, I love Thiago. I don't think he's under the radar at all. He's, he's been quite outstanding in recent weeks. He had a slightly less accomplished game um, against Leipzig. Gave a couple of balls away. wasn't quite as... Influential in the final third, where you know he really comes to life, um, either by by going himself, he scored three goals recently, or uh, trying to find that through ball that he plays so well. And it's interesting because he's out of contract in 2021, mm. and uh, there are suggestions that um, he might become available um, if, of course, he doesn't agree a new contract with Bayern and an extension. And I think he'd be the kind of player that many clubs would love to build their midfield around. He's he's so accomplished and so pressing resistant. And once he has the ball, basically can't get it off him, which is a real useful skill to have. All right. Excellent stuff. Uh, loads more to discuss on today's edition of the Totally Football Show. Up next, we'll be dropping in on Portugal, Liga Nost, and also a bit of Liga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Here's a question from Dean T, who throws this one at us. Ask the panel, what is their second favourite football league? Their first, in brackets, obviously being the one they report on. Alvaro, what's your second favourite football league after Liga? It was always the Argentinian league. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, until what? Seriously, in the, in the 90s, definitely. Yes. Right. So yeah. you yeah, used yeah. to wake I, up at 2am to watch the games? I watch a lot of Argentinian league. That's seriously. I that's mean good. it. That's good. Yeah, they show it in Canal Plus, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, right now, the Premier League. Rafa, what about you? If if your Bundesliga game is finished and there's a choice of, say, French and uh, Dutch and Spanish and Portuguese, which which would you opt for? Serie A. Sempre Serie A. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, Jules, how about you? Oh, it has to be La Liga. 
Really? Because yeah, when yeah. I was younger, and because we used to go on holidays there a lot, and all of that, we speaking the language really well, better than English. And I used to buy. Your I remember, Spanish was better than your yeah, English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to buy the uh, Marca book before the season started with all the teams, all the players, and everything. I was really into my Spanish football. Yeah, right. I really and, thought and I would live there, even to work there. Oh yeah, yeah. Still yeah. to this day, you're kind of. So still to this day, I watch. You, you also you know, watch, watch a lot of Liga Nosh, don't you? I watch everything really that uh-huh. I can. You but even watch rugby. La Liga is yeah, I know. Yeah. But La Liga is if I had to just pick another one outside okay. of Liga and the Premier League, it would be La Liga. As okay. a PSG fan, Jules loves the competitiveness of <laughs> <laughs> La Liga. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Liga Nosh had a big game this weekend, which I wonder, did you watch Porto Benfica? I did watch the... Oh, right, because that was awesome. I mean, we've had some great games over the weekend. Often a cagey affair, but not this time, with a 3-2 win for Porto, which maybe, just maybe, reopens the title question in Liga Nosh. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Benfica still have four points. Mm-hmm. Uh, are still four points clear of Porto, and considering they've only lost two games this season out of 20 winning the other 18 and those two games were against Porto which they're not going to face again yeah. until next season it's hard to see them losing another one or drawing four and Porto coming back but it was, it was really good and it's always a big rivalry and it's a, it's a, it was a great atmosphere as well uh, at the Dragao and, and Porto I think did really well I'm struggling to understand how they could have been seven points behind before the game because it's a really good Porto team I think uh, but on 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 the night this weekend, they were they were by far the best team, I think. Okay, Porto are going to be facing Bayer Leverkusen in the Europa League uh, in a couple of weeks' and time. Do you remember Adel Tarabt? Yes, who has reinvented himself as a defensive midfielder in this Benfica side. No, he didn't have the, the, his best game of the season on on Saturday, mm. but he had been really good for Benfica in that sort of holding role. Believe it or not, extraordinary. Where no? the the most ill-disciplined player that we've probably seen ever mm. has become a very disciplined so player in front of a back You four. say he reinvented himself. Was it was it the manager? Was it Bruno Large who's come up with Yeah, that? I think so, yeah. And, you know, he had all those disappointing stints there and there. You know, he went to play a bit everywhere. And yeah. I think Benfica thought, do you know what? A bit like Julian Weigel, who they just got at Dortmund, although Weigel had been playing more than what Tarabt had before. But those players who people are kind of forgotten about or given up on, that kind of thing. And then we can maybe bring them back to life almost and that's what they did with Tarab certainly this season he has been really really good for them that is remarkable mm. Mm, okay uh, Jules for your day job of course you cover League 1 yeah, that's what I do yeah. and uh, League 1 which featured uh, the leaders uh, PSG without Neymar beating Leon. Rudy Garcia's uh, Leon 4-2 this weekend how come Neymar was absent he still had a bit of a pain, he said, and he missed the uh, the game as well in midweek. Uh, pain as in hangover. Maybe from his birthday party. But I think the the idea, most importantly, is to almost wrap wrap him in cotton so he doesn't right. get any any little niggle or anything before the Dortmund game because you know him being out at kind of this stage of the season more or less the last two two years. Right. Obviously, that really hurt PSG, and this one they really want to preserve him from anything so he can be fully fit and on top form like he's been the last three months for the Dortmund game next week. I see. A 4-2 win here. Uh, one of the goals for PSG coming from Lyon's Fernando Marsal. The most uh, comical own goal that I think you will see this season. Really? Because you, it was worse than Mariapas, do you feel? Oh yeah, 100%. It's uh, Julian Draxler who's uh, on the left-hand side in the box and tries to cross the ball towards Kylian Mbappe and Thiago Mendes, the Lyon midfielder, tackles the ball to give it back to Draxler mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the corner line if you want. So mm-hmm. then Draxler has a second chance to cross the ball. He crosses it again more or less in the same area and Marsal the Lyon left-back who's arriving facing his own goal and just smashes the ball. A bit like Mariapa, but what's a bit more comical is the one-two between Draxler and the Lyon midfielder before that. And then Marsal just smashing the ball in his own net. And at that time, just after the break, at 3-0 up, it looked like PSG were going to destroy them. And yet, they took their, their eyes off the ball. They, I think they, like Tuchel said after the game, they thought they had won the game already. And Lyon, in, in 11 minutes, came back. Right, made it 3-2. 3-2. Two. Yeah, with a very good second goal. And then almost had a, um, they had a big chance for Moussa Dembele to make it 3-3 as well. Wow. Yeah, but and uh, after that... Cavani came on and... Uh, 
and made it 4-2. Yeah. Cavani. Cavani. And that goal, the fourth one, right. uh, 98 seconds, 38 passes, and every single PSG player touched the ball Ooh. before Cavani scores his 199th goal for the club as well. So it meant a lot to him. You could see in his celebration, I think all the frustration from the Atletico move that didn't happen. Right. And the criticism after that from, from Atleti um, owner and president and that, that, that little incident between him and, and Cavani's brother and I think he, and his he got it all as well, out no? yeah and the mum as well got yeah. involved so I think all that frustration came out after that goal and the Pan de Prince was singing that, that song for Cavani what was that, that what love. song was that you know I've, I've sung already on BT Sport cool show il m'entraîne au bout de la nuit et Cavani it's better if Prince Charlie you know play the whole stadium maybe he will maybe if he can find that What song is that from? What's the, to the tune of what? Ah, so Les Démons de Minuit from oh. uh, back in the 80s, one of the most famous songs in France in the 80s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice, Image. Jules. Uh, you mentioned your boy Ryan Cherry, or Ryan Cherry. Ryan Cherry, yeah. Ryan Cherry. Who started the game, maybe, I think it was a bit too early for... Right, how old is he? 16. 16. I know, and he did okay. He was involved in Lyon's first goal. He came off after an hour, uh, but he felt like... It felt like it was a bit premature to start him in a game like this because he's so young and the hype is so big that you don't want to sort of knock his confidence or anything. And and in, I, w- I would not have started him. And right. Garcia went with it and I, I was like, mm, not so sure. And then Lyon did better once he was off as well because they scored, they had a really good spell after that with Tokoe Kambi. But he's still one to keep an eye on for the future because he's going to be very special there's no right. doubt about it now last week we were here talking about Dimitri Payet beating a couple of men pretty much on the touchline but then still managing to squeeze the ball in for yeah. a remarkable goal for Marseille seven days on he's, he's done it again a very different goal though what, how, how did this one pan out yeah and he was in a game again a bit like the Saint-Etienne one last week where this one against Toulouse where it was quite a tight game and he just got the ball 25 yards away from, from the goal and just smashing it in the top corner he I still think he's overweight and I still think that he could be a much better player but he has those moments of pure brilliance and without him they certainly wouldn't be second with right. the record that they had under AVB because 13 matches unbeaten it's incredible and he's, he's just bailed them out so many times right. by purely on his own talent because again fitness wise I don't think he's at the best that he could be but it's remarkable how week in and week out when he wants to he turns it on and just makes huge differences. Just imagine how much difference he could make when he converts to defensive midfielder as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly like Tarab. What what's, what's interesting is that Marseille have the, uh, the the second best defense in Europe after Real Madrid. I think a uh, level with Liverpool or something like that. They've, they've only considered one goal in 2020. It's, it's incredible. And clearly AVB is building that defense, making that team really solid and then just relying on Payet pretty much on his own to make the difference. And And... Again, they won that game. It's not pretty to watch at times, but it's very, very efficient in both boxes. And it's working for them because now there's no way they're not going to qualify for the Champions League unless a disaster happens. But I don't see that happen and they deserve to. Okay, they're taking on Lyon in the French Cup quarterfinals this week, which will also see Belfort, not familiar with them, against Rennes, Dijon against PSG, and Epinal against Saint-Étienne, Alvaro. Yeah, I believe that Dimitri Payet can be one of these really good players who can retire without winning a title. He's on his way to, to suffer from that because he could have won the World Cup for France. He got an injury in the Europa League final against yeah. Atletico de Madrid and he has never won a title for a player this quality. It's a real shame. Yeah, he lost the Euro uh, 2016 final. He lost mm-hmm. the Europa League final against Atleti as well in 2018. And, and then before that, Marseille didn't have many occasions or the clubs that he's been at too, Lille, Nantes or Saint-Étienne either. So, Maybe, maybe. But you talked about Rennes in your uh, French Cup. Mm-hmm. They uh, sacked the president, uh, Olivier Letton. The in, president? Yeah, in midweek. Uh, so they're owned by the Pinot family, one of the richest families in the right. world who yeah. own uh, Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent and Balenciaga. Yeah, there was a lot of talk of them being in for Milan as well. I'm not yes, sure. exactly. Yeah, which I believe was not true. And, and the uh, uh, the son of the in the Pinot family is married to Salma Hayek, the, uh, which, oh, yeah, okay, the Mexican nice. actress. Mm-hmm. But Olivier Letton was a very divisive uh, president. He was not getting on the best with the manager, uh, Julien Stéphane. So he was gone. And their dream of Arsene Wenger coming over. So they've made contact over the weekend. 
And they would pretty much say to him, you the president, but you can be sporting director. You can pretty much be anything you want. And that's how much they want him there. I don't still don't think he would go. Uh, but yeah, it's... It well, why not? Because he's too busy doing kind of being sport or, or what? No, I mean, I think he likes the role of FIFA. Uh, and I think he always he always told FIFA, if, if a club comes for me and it's a, it's, it's a good project for me, enough or a good opportunity or big enough, then I would I would go for it, and I think FIFA knows that. I'm just not sure if Ren is what he wants right now, and if that role of president slash sporting director or whatever is also what he wants. I still think he wants to manage, but but they might be very convincing and and be able to convince him. Okay, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Next up, everybody, we're off to sunny Spain. Bigger than anything this weekend in La Liga, Alvaro, was what happened to the Copa del Rey last midweek. Real Madrid and Barcelona, as you mentioned at the top, both knocked out in the quarterfinals, both by Basque sides, who then met each other this weekend. Extraordinary. Can you take us back, first of all, to the uh, the game at the Bernabeu, Real Sociedad against Real Madrid. Extraordinary scenes. Yes, with a great display of Real Sociedad, especially attacking display. I wouldn't compare this Real Sociedad to Borussia Dortmund, but the thing is that they know how to attack and then they don't know how to defend. And they got a 4-1 lead at the Santiago Bernabeu and they almost wasted it. So at the end, the game was 4-3 for Real Sociedad and Real Madrid had a glorious chance. Um, Sergio Ramos uh, basically had a header from the penalty spot mm. to draw the game and take it to the extra time. That didn't happen. Real Sociedad qualified after beating Real Madrid. Athletic de Bilbao qualified after beating Barcelona. Iñaki Williams scoring in the aggregate of the second half. And Great scenes as he's dragging Gerard Piquet along. Yeah. La peina el León. El más León de todos. Iñaki Williams adelantándose en el centro. Creo que fue a Sergio Busquets que no sé si incluso también la llega a tocar. Balón al fondo de la red. Si en la liga fue Guadurid, en la copa es Williams. It's funny because in a TV night show, Iñaki Williams said in the past that uh, Gerard Pique was probably the quickest defender he had ever faced. And uh, as soon as Iñaki Williams got the ball there, yeah. I was thinking, these two are going to have a race. Let's see who wins it. And it was Iñaki Williams by by a great margin, actually. So, so, so yeah, Piquet's basically hanging onto his shirt, yes. lying on the ground and being dragged along the turf. R- remarkable. Very remarkable. Mm. And, the, and the picture is, uh, obviously, there have been plenty of memes. I don't know if you call them that mm. way. And social media pictures about that. So these two Basque teams are in the semi-final of the Cup, all together with Granada, which mm-hmm. is one of the surprises in La Liga. They already collected like 30 points, so they are pretty much safe, even though they cannot obviously uh, calm down too much. And then Mirandés, a team from the second division, um, who happen to be also from the north of Spain, not the north-north in the coast, but uh, 100 kilometers away from Bilbao. And some say in Spain, even some really famous journalist that this is bad for the Spanish Cup because Real Madrid and Barcelona are out. But right. for, for us that uh, want to see something different, uh, it's definitely something glorious because it was Real Madrid-Barcelona, Atletico and Sevilla winning it uninterruptedly since 2008. And now you have a team, or Valencia, sorry. And now you have a team like Atletic de Bilbao or Real Sociedad or Mirandés or Granada who can actually win it. And this is great because Atletic de Bilbao and Real Sociedad uh, perhaps... Nobody knows much about it because in the 80s, they stopped winning titles. But before that, they won a combined 35 titles between them, a Spanish Cup and a Spanish League, which is something like the 18% of the Spanish titles at stake in Spanish football history. Wow. So it's pretty, pretty good for them. And the sense of euphoria in the Basque country, you could feel it in the derby this week, which in Real Sociedad won. Okay. Imagine Saudi Arabia who paid 120 million euros for the <laughs> Super Cup and they'll have like a team from the second division and then a few, um, you know. I would love that to happen. Right. So uh, it was going back to the game at the Bernabeu, Martin Odegaard on loan from Real Madrid scored yes. against uh, the Merengues, uh, the opener. And then uh, there was an absolute display, the first of two this week from Alexander Isaac, who Frida Faglen was uh, singing the praises of. On, uh, on Monday's show, Leo uh, Chaklides says, uh, can we have some, some chat on Alexander Isaac 
Uh, two goals and two assists against Real Madrid in the Copa, and then another goal and another assist against Athletic Club de Bilbao at the weekend. Yeah, and the funny thing is that at Bernabeu, he, he was spectacular and he could have scored uh, right. one or two more goals. So I think that the, he's not still a finished article, as you call it. But against Athletic de Bilbao, he didn't start. And from the minute he came on the pitch, he made such a difference. It wasn't only the goal and the assist, it was also the technical display, the number of flicks that he did. The Athletic de Bilbao defense didn't know how to stop him. Right. And this player has scored already seven cup goals and uh, he has scored uh, around seven or eight in La Liga as well. So he, yeah, he's got 13 in 12 games. After a, He came from Borussia Dortmund. Yes. And I think had a really slow start when he first arrived. He's what is he now? Twenty? Not uh, even? Yeah, he's uh, around that age. And uh, Borussia Dortmund can buy him back for thirty million euros. Okay. So let's see if Borussia but, wants to trigger that uh, release clause. Okay. So Frida was talking about him as like the next big thing. Famously, and we mentioned this yesterday. I think it was Marker mm-hmm. talked about his performance in the cup and put the caption, "He is like the Swedish Ibra." Yeah. 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 <laughs> wonderful. But how how big a prospect is he? A very good one, I would say. I don't know if uh, as good as Martin Odegaard, because Odegaard seems to be in a certain level himself, but uh, Isaac has uh, plenty of uh, characteristics that uh, could make him a great striker. Number one, that he's gifted technically uh, for a player his size. Uh, Then he can score goals, uh, I would say, that uh, quite easily as well. And then his positioning is excellent. And then he's got that second of... uh, pose inside the box that makes him so special. He's got imagination. He can stop. He doesn't uh, get stressed when he's got Mm. a chance in front of him. So I believe that he's not a finished article yet, as I said before, but he's at the same time one of the most exciting prospects of La Liga. Okay, time slows down for him, does it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Definitely. That's really nice that British Dortmund can... uh bring him back because that's exactly what they need a teenage goal scorer (laughs) really short on kind of young but it was a story of he was doing so well in Sweden and then everybody was after him but he was far too young to have an impact anywhere and he always was going to need some time a bit like Odegaard when he moved to Real Madrid and I think even at the start of the season he was probably not ready to play ahead of William Jose but now, now he probably is a bit more and then you see all that talent coming through, but you need to give all of them some time because it's, you know not everybody is Messi or Ronaldo at that age. Mm. And Real Sociedad seems to be the club at the minute because they've got an attacking-minded manager, Imanol Alguacil, again who has to address the defensive problems of Real Sociedad. But the free-flowing players, uh, they flourish under him, like uh, Mikel Merino, the former Newcastle player, right. Julian Jose until he had a spat with the manager, he was very good. Isaac, Odegaard, Oyarzabal, Porto, all of them are attacking players, and six or seven of them, they are doing very well this season, because Imanol Alguacil is using all of them. Well, their uh, cup tie, well, it's the first leg of their cup tie, is this week, isn't it? It's this week, yeah. And the second leg will be at the beginning of March. Right. In La Liga news, Real Madrid and Barcelona both did get victories in the league this weekend. Real Madrid away at Osasuna. Sergio Ramos, who failed to score in that cup tie, did get a goal here. Barcelona, meanwhile, went to Betis Sevilla, uh, Kike Setien up against his former club. And that was a little bit tighter, that one, 3-2 to the Catalans. It was, and uh, at the same time, uh, I like the way Barcelona managed to um, overcome a couple of adversities. Number one, um, letting Betis score the first goal, 1-0, and then they were behind the scoreline again, 2-1. And uh, however, they managed to come back. So overall, Barcelona, considering that they've got only 14 first-team players fit, um, they did kind of all right. They depend a lot still on Lionel Messi. Who wouldn't? But this is worrying because they have done a massive investment and Antoine Griezmann is not uh, delivering because there is not a position for him at Barcelona. Some people would say the same as the match official for the game uh, in Seville. Yes, it was the referee Jose Maria Sanchez Martinez, who, by the way, he won't be refereeing next week. Right. So the Spanish FA has uh, punished him for his bad performance okay. against uh, Betis. Basically, there were three decisions that he he made wrong. Number one, uh, Sergi Roberto should have been sent off uh, for a very bad challenge. Uh, he wasn't even shown the yellow card. Then um, Fekir was... Uh, sent off for two yellows straight in a matter of five seconds. The first one for a challenge and the second one from just protested. Nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was sent off for that because the referee, I think he got 
too much ego in this case. Right. And uh, basically, he didn't like that Fekir just uh, walk off protesting a little bit uh, the referee's uh, first decision. What, what do you call it when, you, when a referee is rested for a weekend? Uh, to put him in the fridge. You put him in the fridge, yeah. nice. Yes. Ice. Put him on ice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, can the, I just ask, uh, Avro, what's the uh, fallout of the whole Messi Abidal thing? Because I think we didn't really get into it. That's great. true. We touched on it on Thursday, but that was, of course, after Death. our last Euro one. Yeah, that happened last uh, Tuesday. And probably you know that uh, Abidal said a few things about the, the team and uh, he questioned the intensity of their training and uh, their commitment to the former manager Ernesto Valverde to the point that Lionel Messi took that message personally at the end of the day he's Barcelona's captain and uh, he replied to Abidal in social media well some say that Abidal is a dead man walking right now and there will be a chance to obviously sack him as a Barcelona sports secretary so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens very soon this notion of some kind of schism between Leo Messi and directors at the club was taken by some as an indication that he might decide to finally move on from Barcelona this summer. Is that wild conjecture, Alvaro? That's unlikely to happen. That's still unlikely because, uh, number one, you have to make a a huge investment because he's getting paid a lot and uh, all the add-ons that he make. And also because... How much are we talking? It could be like around 70 million a year easily. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lionel Messi, it's uh, really, his weights are astonishing. And uh, number two, I think Lionel Messi is still quite identified with Barcelona. Mm. He's at the end of the day uh, a boy from the academy. And the only problem here is that this is the lowest point of uh, Messi's relationship with the club because Barcelona as a club, they've been trying to please Messi for the last 10 years, mm. trying to guess what Messi would like, especially after the departure of Guardiola, to keep him happy. And now that they cannot do that, the question is, what is this board going to do next or what is going to be their next move to please Messi? Mm. They made an attempt, which I believe that it was just a firework, uh, to bring Neymar because they went uh, to talk to PSG or they tried with no money at all. And uh, Lionel Messi, obviously, he wants to compete and he wants to have a winning team around him because he's turning 33 in June. How did Messi only win one Champions League in the last eight years? This is crazy stuff. Barca never put the right team around him. Mm. He's the best player that's ever played the game and he's only won one out of eight in the last Champions League because he's often had to do with not an average team, but a team that was not as good as it should have been. The thing is that Barcelona resembles more of Argentina as the years go by in the sense that uh, in the past Lionel Messi had some freedom because he was playing with Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets and some other great players. And not all the responsibility relied on him, even though he was the focal point and he was the guy who was putting the cherry on top of the cake. But at the minute, Lionel Messi has to do everything to the point that I think that the game against Betis explains very well. He didn't score a goal. By the way, he is uh, missing quite uh, many chances lately, but he got to give the three assists himself because there is not player at Barcelona at the minute who can assist as good as Messi. Indeed. Atletico Madrid got their first win in six and they've gone back up to fourth place. It was 1-0 over Granada. Getafe are still third after they picked up their fourth Liga win on the spin, beating Valencia 3-0. Bosch have some of that. And Oli Burke. Remember him? Yes. Remember, yeah? Yeah, from Leipzig. He, he became only the second Scottish player ever to score in La Liga when he netted for Alaves against Eibar. Who's, who's the first? That's the question. Go on, Jules. Who was the first Scottish Archibald. player? Yes. You're so good. 1987. Burke certainly the first Scottish player to be referred to as coming to a German team with an empty hard drive. An empty hard drive. I'll always uh, treasure uh, that description. Uh, <laughs> and Atem Benafa made his debut for Valladolid. Oh, did he? Yes. Have you seen his warm-up? Nope. Oh, my what words. Happens? He was just walking alongside the touchline. That was his warm-up. <laughs> he was walking, just waiting. He was doing stretching. I mean, stretching, he couldn't even touch his toes. And then it was the the worst warm-up I've ever seen in my whole life. And then they brought him on for the last what, 10 minutes or something. <laughs> but hey, Ronaldo, I mean, Banafa playing in the team that Ronaldo owns mm. is just, I mean, it's just amazing. And Ronaldo played a big part in convincing him to go there. And now let's see what he can do uh, for the end of the season. Yeah. And I would like to say something about another French player um, who has been, I don't please know. Do, if con- please do, please do. I don't know if he has been controversial in his career. Mm. There is that perception. Nabil Fekir. Oh, but yeah, he was astonishing against Barcelona. He was so good. It's a real shame that the referee took personally um, Nabil Fekir's gesture. 
the referee called it unconsidered, but Fekir over 60 minutes, he wasn't running that game. He was unbelievable and he scored the goal against Barcelona doing what he does best, which is deciding to shoot from outside the box in the counter-attacks himself. He's never generous in those occasions and uh, he does it so well. Then he got sent off. And Longley got sent off as well. All mm. the French got sent off. What a shame. Uh, Robert is currently languishing down in 13th place, but a full 10 points above the, the, the bottom three. So probably all right. Well, very shortly, we'll have some other things to discuss. But right now, it's time to hear from Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. And Lee, another incredible weekend at the top of Syria. Ah, so what's that done to the odds of who's going to win the Scudetto? Well... I thought this weekend felt like a major momentum shift. Our traders, though, were distinctly nonplussed. Shows how knee-jerk I am. That's because we're still odds-on that Juve win the title. They're four to six to do so. Inter are twenty-three to ten to win the Scudetto, or Lazio four to one. Clearly, whoever wins the game between those two teams on Saturday will see their odds shorten dramatically. And we think it's going to be the home team, Lazio, who win that game. They're five to four favourites to do so. Inter are fifteen to eight to take the three points, and it's all very hard to call. Therefore, I'm going to hop back onto my perch on the fence and say. I like the draw at 5-2. to two. All right, over in Spain, Getafe keep on winning. What are their odds, please, of finishing in the top four? God, I love saying Getafe. Makes me feel all cultured in that. What's that? I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, almost certainly. But I wonder if, actually, it's the Paddy Power traders who are the ones really calling it wrong, as they're tipping Getafe to finish outside the top four. They make Atletico 1-3 to three to be in the Champions League spots, and Sofia at 4-6 to six are odds on to join them. Hatafe are 11 to 8 to qualify for the Champions League despite sitting third. Hmm. And speaking of the Champions League, Lee, we're just one week away now from Dortmund versus PSG, two teams that score a lot of goals. What's going to happen there? Hmm, a juicy one. We make PSG favourites win both the first leg and to qualify. They're 5 to 4 to win in Dortmund, which would be a huge statement, although arguably the biggest statement would actually be seeing it through in the second leg and not throwing away a lead. The Prisians are 1-3 to to progress. Dortmund 15-8 to to win the first leg and 9-4 to to go through. But either way, we smell goals in this first match. It's odds on that there are at least three goals in that tie. And just 6-5, to there are four or more in 90 minutes in Germany. Bonanza. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Time to have a little look at some more questions from you lovely listeners. Oscar's Toilet Door. Nice. Yep. Says, thoughts on the potential Benny Liga? Will these cross-border leagues bridge the gap between the top five leagues and those with no money? This is a story that comes up every year at yeah. about this time, isn't it? And then nothing happens, which is a shame because I get quite excited by it. I'm not sure how fans in those countries feel. This is the idea that Belgium the Jupiler League and the Eredivisie from out of the Netherlands would unify to make a Super League, a cross-border Super League. Yeah, I think we had Christophe Terreur we about did. it earlier in the season when yeah. they were all talking about this, which I think is a good idea. Everybody would agree it's a good idea. There's just a lot of details to sort out. The TV rights, for example, have already been sold for both leagues. So right. how do you do with that? And the travelling and the fans and, and all of this. But it would certainly make the, the top teams in the two leagues stronger without a doubt and making them more competitive and maybe they'll be able to keep the best players a bit longer than what they do already whether you Ajax or you know or Genk or all those teams that produce a lot of very good players or find good players that then right. go to bigger leagues and bigger clubs so uh, I think on paper a lot of people are all in for it it's just maybe not that easy to put together it's worked for England and Wales <laughs> nice, yeah. By the way, if you're wondering how the likes of Pardew and Chris Powell, etc., Ajax got on this weekend, Eredivisie yeah. uh, fixtures were were ravaged by uh, Storm Sabina. Yeah, all cancelled. So, yeah. Spain and Andorra. Spain and Andorra. Have done something like that. There you yeah. go. But Andorra is a small country. I, I just wanted to say that Christophe always said that uh, this was something that the Belgian League was pursuing. Right. But the Dutch League not so much. was not so much. Not so much. John Shepard has a question for you, Alvaro. He says, will Eden Hazard be ready for uh, Real Madrid's clashes with Man City and Barcelona in coming weeks? Also, do you think Real Madrid are actually underdogs against City in the Champions League? 
you can never call Real Madrid the underdog, so the answer to that is no. Okay. And when it comes to Eden Hazard, it was 75 days last Sunday since his last competitive game. Wow. He's got only two games left before the Manchester City class on the 26th of February, and I think that he will play only if he is fit. But uh, so far he hasn't had any competitive minutes, so I find it quite difficult that Eden Hazard is going to find the fitness ahead of the Manchester City game. Is he kind of like this this decade's Jonathan Woodgate in terms of... <laughs> what? No, in I terms can't of, believe you just said that. that those words of, came out of your mouth. In terms of a Real Madrid signing, <laughs> who just kind of, it just isn't going to work out at all. I mean, he's gone there. How many actual fit games has he had? I think oh, like he God. was fit from the end of September until mid-November. Especially okay. at, right. against PSG, he was very good, Jules can yeah, say. Until, until many of his exactly. own teammates. And that was the moment when Eden Hazard stopped playing. Right. Okay, but it's not really worked out for them. Not so far. Not so far. Okay, <laughs> we'll see. But but by the sound of it, you don't anticipate him having much of a role in in the Man City the Champions thing, League clash. The thing is that the good thing for him is that that class comes uh, quite late on the twenty sixth of February. I mean, uh, if it was uh, in a week time, that would be almost impossible. Mm-hmm. I think that it would have been beneficial for him that Real Madrid would be in the cup, but they are out, and there are two games left before the Manchester City game. So he needs to play at least an hour of football, I'm guessing, to start against Manchester City. So he may play some minutes at the Santiago Bernabeu against Manchester City, but for a start against Manchester City, I think that we have to wait until the class at the Etihad. Thanks very much, Alvaro. Certainly looking forward to those uh, European fixtures, those, those Europa League and Champions League games which are coming up not next week, the week after. It's getting mighty close. Hey, and we're going to do a goal show for the Europa League, aren't we, on the we Thursday? We are indeed, Woo-hoo. yeah. There's some great games there. Ay caramba. Mm, exactly. Oh, by the way, we were talking about farmers' leagues last time, and I don't know if you heard because this was then answered by a kind listener where the term yes. farmers' league comes ah, from. Oh, yeah, what? Yeah, and so it's an American baseball term because as you drop down the divisions there, you'll end up in these kind of rural leagues where essentially they are agricultural folk, I guess, and that's ah. where farmers' leagues come from. And it's basically drifted yes, across so from baseball into soccer, soccer. kind of the, the whole footballing argot. Um, okay. Good. good. Yeah. Nice. Uh, very good. Uh, we, as I say, will return on Thursday. Looking forward to the weekend's fixtures. Alvaro, Jules, Rafa, and James Horncastle will be back with us for next Tuesday's European show. So I hope you'll be along for that one as well, listener. Thanks for stopping by today. Have a great week, and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe critty looking forward to league two yes <laughs> each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between if it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered, haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media.